Previously on Storyological. <laughs> Everyone understands bungalow to be uncool because it sounds like a place old people go to retire when they're done living. When they're done living, when they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just waiting it out. Yeah, and all of the stories do end horribly. But not just sexy, like some inappropriately incestuous sex. <laughs> oh my God, save me. Save me. And now... Boston with more than a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> this is Storyological, a podcast about amazing stories that we kind of like. I'm Chris Camerud. And I'm E.G. Kosh. My pick this week is Wednesday's Story by Wally Talabi, which was in Lightspeed in May 2016. This is a story that is told by Wednesday and her siblings. Uh, a story with two beginnings, uh, with multifarious middles, and an ending that is told almost at the start. And for this structural beauty, I fell for it pretty hard. The story deals with Wednesday, who is... Uh, I was I couldn't think of the right word to describe it. They're not spirits, manifestations, gods, um, anthropomorphications. They, they are um, anthro uh, anthropomorphications. Uh, anthropomorphications? No, that's not quite right. They are uh, physical embodiments of arbitrary constructs of time. Exactly. So Wednesday and her brothers and sisters, who represent all the other days of the week, tell stories to each other. And Wednesday can no longer stand the sad demise of one of the the hero slash um, tragic center of one of the stories that they tell which is Solomon Grundy in a story that they tell each other over and over again about Solomon Grundy one time when they start to tell it she decides to intervene and to save him from his horrible death it does not go that well what Wally does is take advantage of this idea that Wednesday uh, and the other days of the week tell stories time and time again to tell it from different perspectives, to tell multiple versions of the same story and to loop back around on himself, digging into the story deeper each time. And that, for me, is what made it feel so kind of enchanting. And then on top of that, he also takes two, let's call them side roads, right? And so there's two stories inside of this story that aren't part of that main thrust that i just described there's there's an entire sub story about an oroko tree and the bargain that the tree makes with um some women who live in the village and then toward the end there's also a hunter's story about uh, a dragon and a tortoise and a hunter and they're very sort of moralistic i guess very ethical stories ones like aesop's fables they're built to demonstrate um, a particular a moral of the story don't trust the dragon don't trust the human mainly part of layering all these stories on top of each other i felt like i went towards what what seemed like like an apparent theme of the story of of being crushed and overwhelmed by the same stories over and over again and stories that seem to hold within them both a sense of inevitability and a sense of this is the way the world works and this is the only way that the world works and the kind of unending tales of woe that went on and on again, it felt like a particularly kind of tragic idea that the way they tell the stories is that each day tells what happens on their day. So Monday will begin the story, say, and say, this, 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 this happened, and then this happened on Monday. What that means is that our hero, Wednesday, is always in the middle of the story. 
You know, so they, in a sense, are getting squashed mm. on both sides. They never get to begin the story, and they never get to end it. They only get to take place, really, in the middle, where you could imagine it building up the idea of of wanting to change right, or have an you, effect you on the story. That that point of inflection, where it suddenly becomes the point of no return, where it's all going to end horribly. Yeah, and all of the stories <laughs> Very, do end really, horribly. I mean, there is a lot of violence in this story. I would say if you are unhappy with wounds being described like kissing mouths then then you should probably gloss over that paragraph yeah yeah and speaking of the language so the story with with the different days of the week telling stories uh put me in mind immediately of october in the chair by neil gaiman and when i clicked on the arth uh, on the arthur on the author spotlight uh i i started to read a little bit and he and uh well they started talking about how October in the Chair is what inspired the story. And it made me think a lot about how the choice of how you approach it. So when Gaiman wrote October in the Chair, the way he approached the embodiment of these people felt like it brought them down to earth in a way because they were sitting around a campfire, sharing cider, sharing stories, and each individual month seemed to have a particular uh, personality. And the way that Wally seems to approach this is they... The days, in a way, have different personalities, the way they get described. But but by putting them in what, to me, felt like a gothic setting, and the fact that a lot of the days when they tell their stories, they all seem to possess the same kind of inevitable tragic tone to them. For me, aesthetically, I enjoyed Gaiman's more because I felt like I knew the months better as the stories went on. And in this story, I felt like I didn't know the days better. And even though I understood how Wednesday could feel crushed by stories. I wondered, why Why today is Wednesday fed up with the stories? Is something going on between yeah, the other yeah, days I, of the I week? Yeah, I agree. You don't, you don't really find out why it's today of all days. But, but that idea of being crushed and being dragged by the weight of events that pull you through and that you have no power to, to resist, that that was so powerful and so well evoked... I think what I took away from the story in the end, as well as that crushing feeling of of not being able to resist the greater narrative, was the idea that that it's not just a story about stories, but about the power that they have when we tell them again and again. We're all stuck in these narratives, and they they they're like a snowball tumbling down the hill, gathering up more and more weight, and that. When we tell stories about who we are to ourselves and to our friends and to the people around us, they become the truth. And when we let other people tell our stories, we start to believe that as well. And Wednesday and, and the brothers and sisters are, are telling the stories of other people. They have this immense power, a frightening amount of power, right? And that Wednesday can, can rip a hole in the fabric of time to try and intervene. And yet... She doesn't have enough power to change it because she's not the only author. There's all of the other days of the week there as well. And so it really set me off in this train of thought around the power of having, of, of telling your story, of listening to other people's stories, and around having these co-authors, I guess, who are all telling the same kinds of stories and adding their weight to what you're saying. Yeah, it reminded me of the, the very recent... Um Ruhaha, uh, a writer named uh, Devin Faraci, who... 
I'm not up with a brouhaha. He wrote an article, uh, which keep in mind, it's coming from a guy who was part of the beginning of, of movie fandom in the day when the internet was a new thing. Movies were old, the internet was new. And whose comment section where fans would would gripe about movies and, and what they thought should have happened or the horribleness of casting inspired the part in Jay and Silent Bob where at the end of the movie, Jay and Silent Bob go to the homes of all these internet commenters <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, beat down on them. Um, so he, he wrote this article about how fandom was broken, about how, like we've talked about before, the internet has removed friction, mm-hmm. right? There's always been the, the groups of fans that were deeply engaged and would take the time to write letters. And there's always been fans that, that griped about what happens in stories, Um and he was kind of, he was saying that two things were happening. One, movies, by appearing to become more and more corporate, even more corporate in the fact that they're telling these comic book stories or these big budget movies over and over again, has separated the idea of there being an author. There is a company that makes a story, and that story is a product that you buy. And then you as a consumer feel like you have a right to say, I want my product to be this. And that combined with the lessening of friction with the internet has led to campaigns not to just say uh, we hate the Ghostbusters movie or we don't want to see the Ghostbusters movie because it has women in it. It leads to them saying this movie should not exist because it is not the product I want and it's destroying what I like. Or people saying not I wish there were more Asian Americans in films, but saying the next time you make this movie, there has to be this character in it Mm -hmm. or you have failed because they're, they're not an authorial vision. They're a some corporate vision vision. and i thought about that in in what you were saying about how wednesday wants to change the story but in a way by by wednesday jumping in and changing the story it's taking the story away from thursday and friday Mm -hmm. and saturday and it is an an interesting thought process to where wednesday feels entitled to be the one to make the change we, of course, presumably, because we're like, people should not die or be stabbed multiple times <laughs> in their pregnant stomach, are like, we think that's a good idea. You should change the story. Yeah. Um, no justification required. <laughs> that was kind of a, a side story in and of itself, uh, <laughs> which, which I won't tell you the ending of. You can go find it on the internet. Some of the sections of this story I really enjoyed uh, are the descriptions that Wally puts in. And... There's too many to, to cover them all, but I'm just going to read a few little paragraphs. Um, the old man that was a branch rises to his feet on stilt-like legs, leaning forward as though he is always about to fall over. His face is not at all handsome. It looks like a face that has been cut away from one man, stretched over the skull of another, and weathered in the desert sun. That is a pretty strong image. <laughs> Occasionally, I found the amount of, of adjectives and adverbs, the amount of description, it felt kind of morassy to me. Like I was moving through a whole lot of stuff to get to things. Things like she was naked and her skin was the dark purple of bruises. It kind of goes back to the idea of who Wednesday is. I was like, why is Wednesday in this voice? Like, why is it that voice? Why isn't this just a person who is naked and bruised or yeah I, I really enjoyed the prose of this and I I felt like it was it was in this kind of thick register that was very somewhat 
overbearing way as as how it kind of yeah. pushed the pushes the sentences at you but i i felt what what i took from that is is because it's part of the weight that wednesday feels of is being responsible for these stories that that she tells again and again that that it, it felt like the right register for a story that was so soaked in pain. My pick for this week, See You in the Morning by Mayred Case from Midnight Breakfast, issue three. Uh, I, I found out later that uh, this writer has a novel of the same name. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming it is an extract or an inspired by. I didn't really find out. I will probably go and buy the book, though, because I really like the story. Uh, the story... See you in the morning. Well, it's, it's a story of a first kiss, but rather than being a story of the build-up to a first kiss, it is the story, to a certain extent, of the aftermath of the kiss. It is almost as though this girl's first kiss with another girl is like, is like a miniature death. And this story is her life flashing before her eyes, because we get the drive back, the girl that has been kissed, driving our narrator back home. And in their interaction, and then... In, in the narrator's thinking through of their life, of memories of her grandmother, uh, thinking about her mom and dad, thinking about her relationship with this neighbor next door named Mr. Green, who has the saddest, most beautiful, loneliest birthday tradition ever, which is to eat a bit of cake and read a poem, uh, which he shared with the narrator the night before. Uh, that was the sense I got of... of of seeing and holding this whole person's life as it pivoted around that moment where the narrator went from being somebody who was just observing everything and wanting to be separate to that first moment where she's, she's put herself out there and tried to kiss another person and it hasn't gone very well, but she has put a toe out into the world. Yeah, and and I I was right there with her. I wanted my toes to be next to her toes, <laughs> and frankly, to run off into the woods together, skipping, to drink an inappropriate amount of gin, mm-hmm. and and get taught, you know, get drunk and commiserate, and possibly make out, and and everything will be okay again. You know, she really married. I think is how the author's name. Yeah, uh, married really just got that just on the page what it feels to be inside that that body that mind that's that's at the turning point to adulthood so i was i was imagining she was 14 15 something like that and and that that feeling of one second you're a child who's fascinated by facts about an octopus and the next you're super conscious of the girl who's leaning across you and her hair is brushing your leg and you can't you can't really hold those two people in the same inside of the same body one it feels like they're kind of wrestling with each other yeah i i felt the way that she chooses to create that feeling feels very particular to who this individual girl is mm-hmm. the way she chooses to describe the girl's feelings generally comes from pulling out elements of the world around her so mm-hmm. she can build up a context in which this girl lives. It's so like she's scrapbooking her life in words. Yeah, yeah. And that, that tends to be the kind of description I love most. There was, there was a teacher I had, Michael Knight, that said, you know, really, really often way more important than what a character thinks is what they see. 
Because what they think is, is the character, you know, lying to themselves, or you, the writer, spending way too much time trying to figure out what the character is thinking and writing down. Whereas, like, in this story, it begins not with describing to us what the girl feels about herself, but about these two girls, you know, the host a radio show, some college radio show, and what, what, what their narrator finds stupid about them mm-hmm. uh, is that they seem to be ashamed of the things they like, that they mm-hmm. want to play, like the, playing these cheesy music. And, and the narrator is like, that's dumb. But right away, we begin to see an image that her talking about uh, their mentions of nuns and, and church during Advent that, uh, you know, she's saying that those girls are dumb. But maybe our narrator feels a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt, and she doesn't want to. And she's she's kind of gotten over it in her own life, but she can remember feeling it, or at least feeling it from other people. Like there's this great bit where she said that her dad loves her, and that's great. But with her dad's love, she doesn't feel like she can be herself. Mm. But with Mr. Green, birthday cake and poetry guy, they can just chat. In addition to all of these scrapbook facts that she's uh, that Mary is pulling out of her life, she pairs it with these incredible destri- descriptions of how at times overwhelmed she is by what's happening. So when she's in the car with Louise at the beginning, Louise rolls down her window and breeze poured into the car like water and we just went over a bridge. And I could feel myself inside of the mm-hmm. narrator the gasping for breath. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's 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 a perfect example of that thing of the world. The world is affecting our narr- narrator in a certain way because of what the narrator is feeling. Mm-hmm. It seems so simple, but but when done well, it is the kind of the most sublime, beautiful thing to me about writing is that the world we see is transformed by how we feel. And so when you read a book and we see the world in a different way, that's how we get transported into the character. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the other thing that about this is that it's written in the style of somebody sitting down next to you on the couch and telling you. It reminded me of, of where Catcher in the Rye came from, of the idea of this, just this person, yeah, sitting next to you on the couch, and here you go. Yeah, and, and it feels so naturalistic because there's no speech marks in the whole thing. It's all like, and then she said, and then I said, as though somebody has just written down exactly what this person is saying as they talk. There was so much alive in this story uh little moments that that surprised me or made me laugh made me smile like one one memory earlier in her life where where the girl is playing with her grandma's dollhouse and because she's a lonely little girl playing with the dollhouse by herself she imagines that she's a ghost haunting the dollhouse that's cool then she makes fake flames to put in the bottom of the dollhouse to imagine that it is a house sitting on the mouth of hell uh also cool. And then her grandmother is like, that's that's not that kind of house, dear. But what is that kind of house? That's what I didn't get. There were so many opportunities. It really like cracked my brain open. Does it mean we're not allowed to put up decorations? Does it mean we don't we don't hold yeah, with yeah. your hell life? I know, I know, right, yeah, exactly. But of course if you know she's raised in the church, she has all this hell iconography in her in her head. Mm-hmm. But what really sold the moment to me is when they're walking away the little the the younger version the narrator notices her her grandpa hiding behind the newspaper so that the grandmother won't see him laughing about it because it's so goddamn funny to him um, yeah and then another moment that that also did that to me is just in one little description uh of this woman on a treadmill that happens at one point where it said uh this this woman 
likes to read sad stories while she's on a treadmill, because if you keep walking while you're reading, she said, it won't stick in your heart. And that's what I felt about the, the whole what you're describing as the conversational rambling narration, is it felt like in some ways a lot of the non sequiturs, a lot of what you describe as the scrapbook sense of jumping from one moment to the next, was kind of the narrator dealing with with what is a kind of rejection, because Louise, who she kissed, is like, I just wanted to hang out with you. So clearly there isn't the same reciprocation yeah. of feelings. And, oh. and the narration rambles like that woman on the treadmill, like it's trying to stay one step ahead of the sadness, you know, trying to give us all this stuff but not let it stick. You know, what? Uh, the other story I thought of a lot while reading this was the movie uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl, mm-hmm. the Marie- yeah. Marielle Heller movie, which fantastic, fantastical, amazing slightly disturbing as well in many places by disturbing emma kosh means sexy but not just sexy (laughs) like inappropriately incestuous it it was it was inappropriate it was incestuous and one of the miraculous things about it is it managed to be about sex without being about objectification like the film itself was was not objectifying in the the diary of a teenage girl the the teenage girl at the center of that story is kind of a, a blossoming artist and draws a lot in, in sketchbooks and notebooks. And and so as she starts to deal with exactly what the character, the narrator in this story is dealing with, that kind of burgeoning adulthood, sexual feelings, as she's dealing with it, her, her sketches and her art comes to life and um, not just decorates the screen, but she also interacts with it people that she's met and her drawing she draws them and then they come to life and she talks to them about her problems and yet the way i've described it it sounds kind of twee maybe i don't know but it is incredibly powerful our our listeners love twee uh (laughs) it is yeah yeah and it it, an interesting point of comparison because the the parental figures in that movie they don't they they do not seem to be really interested in a in an engaged presence mainly just want to get fucked up yeah, yeah, yeah. Where in this story, even though the mom and the dad aren't super present because of the references to church and, and other things, you feel like there 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 are people there who love our character, but yeah. maybe have different views of what a good life is than our character wants to wants to follow. Because uh, she's there with Mister Green. Yeah, there there are all those little moments of life in the story that grabbed me. It all built up to the the one last little bit of life that gets squeezed out of you and into you uh, at the end of the story where she leaves Mr. Green's house. Which, keep in mind, she's leaving Mr. Green's house the night before she decides to try to kiss the girl. So it is spending that evening with Mr. Green and his lonely birthday that is still beautiful, yeah. where she's like, I've got to stick my, stick my foot out in the world. <laughs> I and I love how... Stay, uh, something way cruder than that. Uh, well, no, what I was going to say was stick my wing out in the world. Because again, just yeah. like at that bit where she goes over the bridge and the water pours in to indicate and to get you to feel overwhelmed and flooded. The last image in the story is one of the narrator looking at a bird's nest and thinking how that nest is the entirety of home for those birds. Bird, yeah. And any time a bird sticks its wing just out of the nest, it's already there in the world. 
Thanks for listening, readers. If you have enjoyed listening, then we would love it if you would head over to iTunes and leave us some of your enjoyment in the shape of a review. Uh, that helps other people find us and iTunes know that someone out there is hearing what we say. And as often happens, we have failed to discuss all of the stories in the observable and unobservable universe. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Storylogical, which is story. Like the word. Oh. Like Omega. And logical. Like a wind-up watch. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Kuvols. And you can follow Emma on Twitter at EGKosh. And for show notes and gifts and a chance to subscribe to our newsletter and this podcast, you can find us at our home on the web. Storylogical.com. Thanks for listening, readers. See you next time. Happy reading. Have you let it come into your life and light your hot face? Your hot face? <laughs> I like the idea that you have like a little face painted on your You've heart in veins and it just like pulses. on your heart and it's beating to the rhythm of your magical beans. Let them grow to the sky where the giants live. They are Larry, Moe and Joe. Larry, Moe, and Joe, the three giants in the sky, where your heart face sang the beans to grow. So you got to go meet Larry, Moe, and Joe. <laughs> it's time for Larry, Moe, and Joe. Tonight's episode, Cabbages, Animal, Vegetable, Mineral. Joe, what do you think? I'm going to go with Vegetable. I think that's right. <laughs> that's all the time. <laughs> 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 oh my god, save me. Save me. Three, two, one.